0: Welcome to Palm Sunday and our Palm Sunday service where Jesus was beaten with palms, okay? Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, welcome to our Palm Sunday service uh, where we enter into Easter week. My name is Kevin Valentine, I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us with Part of Your Sunday. And I just want to say this, there is a reason um, that Christmas and Easter are huge days in the Christian world, but also um, both of these stories that we celebrate um, on Christmas and the one we're celebrating this, this Easter um, are huge days around the world. It's because these two days are linked with eternity for all of us. Um, at Christmas, uh, we learn that God loved us so much that he sent his son to earth, Jesus, God in the flesh, um, to die for all of our, to, well, on Christmas. We learn that he came to earth. Easter, we find out why he came to earth. Easter is where we realize that he came to die for our sins, to pay the the penalty for our sins so that we could have eternal life with God. Um, so Palm Sunday is the day that we really celebrate um, where Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem where the religious leaders and some of the many of the people there eventually would turn on him and crucify him. And then three days later, we celebrate that on Good Friday, and three days later he would rise again. And so today marks the, the triumphal entry is what it's called, where Jesus rode into Jerusalem um, on a donkey. Friday, um, we celebrate Good Friday, which actually was one of the darkest moments in human history, which leads to um, Easter Sunday, which is one of the brightest moments in human history. Um, And and I really want you to experience the whole journey with us. If I could just uh, invite you and challenge you to not just be here this morning, but be here Friday night at 7 p.m. right here for our Good Friday services, and then Easter Sunday at uh, 9.30 or 11. Um, I want you to be at all three of these services because it's a journey that we're going to take. And I would also encourage you to, to in, invite your friends. And, and this, these cards, um, let me just tell you, um, not only are most people open to attending church on e- Christmas and Easter, um, but the most effective way to get them there is an invite from you. Uh, this card is just a tool to help you invite uh, people that you know, friends, neighbors, family members that, that might not regularly go to church but will show up here. And, uh, and I want to talk to you about these for just a second um, because this is not just a piece of paper. I think sometimes we just think, oh gosh, uh, you know, we kind of go when we invite people to church or talk about God, we kind of go internal and we start worrying about what they're going to think about us or if they're going to reject us or, or if we're going to screw it up. When, when really what this is, this is an invitation for other people to a relationship with God. That's really what this represents. It's an invitation for them to know who God is. Um, you never know when one of your friends is going to say yes to an invite, and that might, this, this might be the next weekend where they say yes to Jesus for the first time. And, and then this card actually um, re- reverberates, ripples into eternity with them because someday they'll be with you in heaven. Um, and so these cards are really important. They're just a tool. Um, they're important for you to just remind you to go and invite this weekend. And, and, and my hope is that you will be um, shocked as your friends say yes and show up with you and ask you what service you're coming to and and, and when you guys can meet um, But uh, as far as today is concerned, I want to jump into the story surrounding Palm Sunday. Um, I want to set up a little bit of the backdrop. So in case you're ever um, in a man-on-the-street interview and they ask you about Palm Sunday, you will know what you're talking about, okay? Um, So uh, when we read this story, um, Israel had been under Roman occupation for 90 years, um, four generations. There was no way out. Rome was too powerful. Uh, But the Israelites longed to be free. The only thing they had to look forward to was the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah was supposedly, he was prophesied, was going to come in, overthrow Rome, and set up a new kingdom. Well, as Jesus had been been gaining popularity, he was healing people, teaching about the kingdom of God. um, Many people began to believe that he was their answer. Um, He was the Messiah. But not all people believe that. There were a lot of mixed reviews about Jesus, about who he claimed to be, about the uh, amazing miracles and the great works that he did, and how he did them. Um, he was a ma- he had a massive following, and this is what I don't think we understand. Um, there were there were quite possibly not just tens of people following Jesus at this time, but but hundreds of thousands of people following him. Like if he were on Instagram or Twitter, he would have millions of followers. Okay, just like me, he would have millions of followers tens of millions of followers if he's like me. Um, so, the, the, But the biggest question on the original Palm Sunday is the same big question today. Is Jesus who he claims to be? We still ask that question today. Many people still ask that question. Was he the son of God? Was he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? Will he save us um, from our oppressors? People question then, we still question now. And so I want to spend some time in the Gospel of John. And I want to identify three different people that were there on Palm Sunday when Jesus showed up in Jerusalem and that I believe are in this room right now the same three groups of people that were there when Jesus showed up, I believe are in the room right now. Um, And so I want to get into the story, and then I'll just kind of identify those three groups as we go along and see where you might fit. Um, But we're going to go to the New Testament. If you open up your Bible, um, those of you that still use like actual Bibles and aren't on your phone with it, you open up your Bible, turn to the right, and you will get to the New Testament eventually. It starts with four Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're, They're three eyewitness accounts of Jesus with men who spent three years with him in his ministry with him. And then the fourth was named Luke. He was a doctor. He interviewed a bunch of people to gather all of the the things that he could find about Jesus to make a documented record through a doctor's point of view. Um, uh, And so he documented all those stories. So you have four gospels, the stories of Jesus's time on earth. And then uh, the the book of John is where we're going to spend time. John 12, uh, the I'm going to read the story of the triumphal entry. Starting in verse 12, um, the next day the great crowd had come for the feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, don't be afraid, O daughter of Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there's a couple things you need to know about this story. A little bit of backstory here is Jesus had just left from a place where he actually um, brought a man named Lazarus back from the dead after he was dead for four days. He was actually a friend of the family. He was out of town at the time. Lazarus died. Jesus traveled there four days later and actually called him out of the tomb and Lazarus came out of the tomb. So there was a large group of people there that were there to see Lazarus alive again. And then it mentioned the Pharisees. And you need to know in Jerusalem, there were two groups of religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They actually um, developed quite a hatred for Jesus because he had gained so much popularity. He was he was actually pulling popularity away from them. They were the leaders of, of the Jews. They told the Jews what to do, and they did it. They had a lot of power and authority. All of a sudden, Jesus is, is, is the people are following him, and that one, the Pharisees said, look, the whole world is going after him. So they were completely against Jesus at the time. Now, let's take ourselves into the story. Imagine that you are um, in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. You just got off your camel after a long trip to get there. So you're smelly along with your camel, and you guys like, straighten out your robes, and you're in Jerusalem. There's a massive crowd to uh, celebrate the Feast of Passover. Um, and it was probably like a crowd like you would see at New York Times Square um, over New Year's Eve. Uh, it's like, it's, think think of that. It's like there's just people down every street. They're packed in there. Um, in fact, Josephus, he's a secular Jewish historian, so not even a biblical author. Um, he wrote about um, the fact that there was over 2 million people involved in the Passover feast. They actually have, a, it's known that 256,500 lambs were slain at one Passover. Um, and and the, basically each lamb represents around 10 worshipers is kind of how it works out. So there's over Two million people involved. Um, The atmosphere is exciting. It's carnival-like. People are jammed in the streets, jammed in the city, ready to celebrate. Um, Think Mardi Gras, but with more clothes and less alcohol. Okay, that's what I want you to think. Mardi Gras with more clothes and less alcohol. That's what's going on. Like, it's a crazy time. Um, And word showed up in that atmosphere that Jesus was coming into town. So you're talking people were jacked up about Jesus showing up because they had been hearing about him. Many of them had never seen him. And all of a sudden, Jesus, they, this guy that was, that was raising people from the dead, anybody that was sick would, uh, would be healed. He was actually going after the, the religious leaders and arguing with them and winning, um, creating all kind of uproar everywhere he went. All of a sudden, he's coming into town. This is a big deal. And I'll tell you, it's a rare thing that all four Gospels record the same event in Jesus' life. Most of the time, it's two or three will record an event. Some some are spoken of in detail. Some are just mentioned. But what happens on this day in Jerusalem is recorded in all four Gospels. All four of them tell this story. And for that reason alone, we um, consider what happened in this story to be of utmost importance. There's a reason all four Gospels have this story. So the crowd gathers as Jesus rides into the city on the colt of a donkey and they begin to wave palm branches that's why we call it Palm Sunday why we shout and they, they were shouting and welcoming Jesus. They were singing songs. Some laid their palm branches on the ground in front of the donkey as it walked and some laid their coats on the ground for the donkey to walk over. It was kind of a king's welcome. It was a big deal. And so I want to take just a snapshot of this moment as Jesus is riding into um, Jerusalem on this, this cult of a donkey. And I want to start talking about the faces that you might have seen in the crowd if you were there. If you were at this event who would you see and what were they thinking Um, and as we look at these three groups um, i really believe i can say with confidence that they're in our crowd here um they're they're in this room and so let's jump in the the first group and you know you're going to see you're going to know you probably saw one walking in is the roman soldiers any roman soldiers here okay didn't think so um this was an occupied territory so there's roman soldiers everywhere. There's probably a ton of soldiers there. Why? Because two million Jews were there to celebrate Passover and um, Holy Week. Um, there were, there were, during Holy Week, um, there were tons of people there. And what happens inside of Holy Week, there had been a history of Jewish uh, rebels kind of inciting violence to overthrow Rome during Holy Week. So the Romans were charged with keeping control of the Jewish people. What does that mean to the Romans? Really, nothing is recorded about this, this viewpoint of the Romans. But we know they kept a close watch because this is when violence would erupt time and time again. They're on high alert. They might even be expecting a ride. They might even have their riot gear on, and they're like tear gas cans ready to throw, right? They might have just been there. And then here comes Jesus that everybody's in an uproar about. People are jamming the streets to see him come by, and he's actually riding on like a donkey, but not even a donkey. It's like a baby donkey. Like he comes riding down this, this road on a baby donkey. They call it the triumphant, triumphal entry, and I bet the Roman soldiers were probably cracking up. They're like, <laughs> really? That's your king? That's your leader, like baby donkey guy, like that that guy, like you, you think he's powerful, you're calling him king? It was nothing like their triumphal entries. And this is what you need to know about Rome. We know this from history. Um, uh, you know, whenever a Roman general celebrated a victory where he had, he was able to kill over 5,000 of the enemy and gain a new territory, they gave him a Roman triumph. They gave him a Roman triumph entry into the city. They celebrated when he returned. That Roman general, and the Roman king, by the way, uh, the Roman leaders would ride he rode in on a gold covered chariot with white stallions pulling it um, to Roman to Rome, that was a symbol of a warrior. The enemy leaders that they captured would be dragged by chains behind him to be killed later in front of everybody in a public execution to just basically talk about how powerful Rome was and show everybody what happened if you came against the Roman government. So here comes Jesus in his triumphal entry, and he's on a baby donkey. And I'm sure some of the, some of the Roman um, soldiers laughed. I bet they were laughing. I bet they were making fun of him. And then the Jewish crowd was going crazy, laying palm branches down. I'm thinking that they literally had to think this was a joke, like a total joke. Because imagine this, and we never think about this, and this just hit me like just a couple years back. I'm like, if he's right on a baby donkey, I wonder if Jesus' feet were dragging the ground. Could you imagine? Like it's that small of a donkey, and it's like it's not sacrilegious to think that. I'm just trying to put myself there and go, he's on a baby donkey. It can't be big like a normal donkey, which isn't that big anyways. So Is he sitting sideways? Is he sitting side saddling? His feet are dragging the ground? Is he he sitting forward? I don't know, but all I know is that it had to be some type of a laughing stock to the Roman soldiers because what powerful leader would stoop so low? What king would ride in on a donkey? And compared to a Roman triumph, it was a joke to them. It was laughable. And so here's who the Roman soldiers represent, those who mock Jesus. Those who mocked Jesus, they laughed and they scoffed at the idea of who Jesus claimed to be. They maybe even thought, man, what, what a joke this guy is. These, these these Jewish people are idiots right now. And I'm telling you, that's how some people treat Jesus today, isn't it? That's how some people look at Jesus. Um, his worshipers and his followers. They, they laugh at Jesus. They make jokes about Jesus. They laugh at the people that follow him. And, and I'm not going to say that all Christians are perfect and some of the stuff we do is kind of laughable because we're dumb just like everybody else. But it's like I'm, I'm, there's people today that just look at Christianity, they look at Jesus, and they just scoff. They mock. And I'm just telling you, I experienced this... Um, when I was in college, from my coach and my teammates, uh, I played on the golf team at Oakland University in Auburn Hills, Michigan. I was, I was on the five-year plan, not because I was dumb, but they were giving me money for five years, so I'll take it, and I'll just spread out my school. Uh, I redshirted my first year. Um, but by the time I got to college, I was, I was serious about my faith. I had gotten serious about my faith kind of my junior, um, sophomore, junior year of high school, and I was just, I got serious. Um, and when I got to college, I was the only Christian on the team. Um, for all five years believe it or not I was the only Christian on that team and the guys constantly made fun of me because I wouldn't do the things that they did I didn't talk the way that they talked and I was just I was different because I was really trying to live my life for God they would mock at, they would mock me they would laugh at me they would you know I would show up and they go oh here comes Jesus boy I still remember them just taunting me with that like that's what they that's what they called me when we were on trips they would just make fun of me they would bring playboy magazines um, back in the day that's what we had to do like right? so they would bring those and they're like Hold him up and go, hey Kev, what do you think of this one? You know, and they flip the page. How about this one? And just put that stuff in my face just to get a, a rise out of me. My coach was the worst. Like he was actually a former, he was in school to be a, a Catholic priest and like either flunked out or quit. I don't know. But man, he was ruthless to me. Like it was not it was non-stop with him. Um, but I, I, I will tell you this, it was, um, it was five years that were extremely difficult from a faith perspective because it was just true persecution. And I'd never experienced that before where people were making fun of me because of my, my faith. It was ridicule. Um, they, they, and I just endured it. And, and it was so bad. And I'll just, you know, I don't think I've ever told anybody this. I just, the last service, it kind of came out of me. I'd forgotten about it. After my freshman year, I actually tried to transfer to the University of Houston. Um, I had set it up with the coach. I had a really good freshman year, set it up with a coach of University of Houston. He was going to come watch me play in a tournament in Houston. I had gone back to Texas home um, in between seasons. And um, the night before I was supposed to go play in that tournament, I got, I got so sick, I puked for half the day, and I couldn't go play. And so he's like, I, I haven't seen you play. I'm sorry. And so I had to go back up to Michigan. But it was just, it was that bad that first year. So I came back, got on the team, and, and, and just I just kind of sucked it up for the next Three years um, until this moment happened that I'll never forget my senior year. Um, one of our turn- tournaments we're at, um, we end up on a rain delay. And the way golf works is five five players go in the coach um, in a 15-passenger van that we would travel all over the Midwest and we'd fly to certain places, but most of the time we were in the van. Um, we come up on a rain delay in this tournament, um, the, the second half of my senior year. And um, uh, th- four of us got stuck in the van um, for about an hour and a half rain delay. And uh, and um, we're sitting in the van. Uh, it's me, the coach, and uh, two other guys on the team. One of them was like the, the worst one of all the guys on the team, just brutal to me. And we're stuck in the van, and I'm just like going, I want to go anywhere but in this van with these guys, but I'm stuck, and it's raining super hard. And we get through all the chit-chat and everything kind of that you do at a tournament, talking about this and that. And then I kind of started to settle in for a nap. And um, l- I'm not joking, out of the clear blue, there's one of those moments where it's just quiet in the van, everybody's kind of wondering what to say, and it's kind of not uncomfortable, but you're settling into your own space. Um, the one guy that was the meanest to me, like for three years in a row, um, he he just kind of in, in the quietness, he just goes, Kev, why you into all that Jesus stuff anyways? Why do you believe all that? And he didn't have the sarcastic tone. He didn't have that antagonistic, like, just, I'm just going to set you up so I can knock you down. And I just, I kind of waited. And it's like I just sat quiet and it just hung there. Nobody said anything. Nobody made a joke. They were literally waiting for me to answer. And so for the next half hour, um, I shared my story. I shared my faith. I talked about Jesus and the gospel, and they actually asked questions. They were, like, all interested. They were, like, listening to my answers and asking thoughtful questions. And, uh, you know, it's nothing. I just can't explain it, but I I did such a good job explaining it that they all got on their knees in the van and accepted Jesus, and I baptized them in raindrops right outside the van right after. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. I'm sorry. I was way too serious. I'm like, I got to stop you. That did not happen, okay? Like it was not that good of a conversation. I think I kind of sucked at it. Um, But they kept asking questions. So my bad. If you were like, that's so inspirational. I'm sorry. I just like ruined all Sunday for you. Don't hate me, please. Um, No, that did not happen um, at all. I wish I could say that. I wish that it was like standing ovation right now. It's like, Um, but to be honest with you, not a thing changed after that. Um, it was like this half hour of honesty and seriousness, and then it was right back to Jesus sucks and you're terrible and why are you with us? And it's just right back to it. Um, and so I make it through my senior year of college, and um, I, I really um, I stay in loose contact with some of the guys. we had become friends, um, but I don't I don't hear from any of the guys that were in the van except for the coach. I don't hear from any of them for twelve years. Twelve years go by, and in two thousand nine. I'm at, uh, I'm at Kensington Church in Michigan, uh, Troy, Michigan, and I'm teaching there on one of the Sundays, and um, after the service, one of those guys from the van walks up to me after the service, and he's got a girl with him, and, um, and it must have been the look on my face, like from seeing him there as I kind of put two and two together, and he goes, I don't know if you remember me, and i was like, inside, I'm going, oh, heck like, yeah, I do, yeah, I remember you. Um, he says, but we've been coming here for, for two years now. We are engaged. We love Kensington. We're in a small group. And I'm like, really? Like, are you kidding me? And he's, I'm like, how long have you been doing this? He's like, well, it kind of started a number of years back. And he's like, they're, they're on the journey. They were following Jesus. And, and, and I just have to tell you, I don't know if it was that moment in the van that was the turning point. I literally don't know. But it might have been a step in the process, right? It might have just been a step where we just had a moment where I was able to share uh, the gospel. And, and that's why I just say this. I just say this to you in, in all sincerity. Invite your friends who mock Jesus and mock Christianity not only to church with you, but into conversations that might be spiritual in nature. If they ask, don't be afraid to step up and stand up and speak up for your faith. You never know if 12 years later from now, you're gonna, you're gonna see them and they're gonna say, hey, you remember me. It is me like no or yes, but you can trace it back to a step in their journey. It was just a conversation with you. You never know what's gonna be the turning point for somebody's life. Those of you who are believers in here, you live your life for Christ every day. You never know when you're going to be stuck in a rainstorm with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, maybe even someone who mocks Jesus. So speak up, be bold. Invite people here next weekend, even those who make fun of church, even those who might make fun of the Jesus fish on your car if you have one of those. Invite them because you never know. So that's one group of people. There might be some of you in this, in this room right now that you go, man, years of my life, years back, um, yeah, I, I mocked Jesus. And maybe, maybe you do now. You make fun of Christians. It's just it's a joke to you or it's just something that's just silly. And, uh, and here's the cool part is you are so welcome here. Like, I want you to be here every Sunday. You can make fun of me. Just make it to my face. Like, I don't mind. It'd be fun. Like, we can have fun trading bars, right? But it's like, it's just kind of, uh, if you're here, um, thank you for being here. And I, I have something for you in a few minutes. Um, but, but that's one group of people, those who mock. The Roman soldiers just mocking Jesus. Second group of people are um, the seekers, they are seekers, and they're, they're, they were there to see Jesus and see Lazarus. John 12, 9, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, it, you know if they, if they came to see Jesus and to see Lazarus, I think we can safely say that they were doing what? They were seeking evidence. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to see Lazarus. They were seeking proof. Uh, they were—they hoped the story was true, but they weren't necessarily convinced yet. They wanted to see for themselves, and maybe they are the skeptics. I I call those people seekers today. They know that there's something to this Jesus thing. They even want it to be true, but they are seeking proof and they are seeking answers. And let me just tell you, I know that there are some of you in the room right now that resonate with this. You're not convinced yet. You're looking for proof. And let me just share with you some amazing information about our church. We took a survey about six weeks ago, and you're going to hear more about this in the future. Um, but we ask a lot of questions. And thank you, the, the, those of you that filled those out. We asked everyone in the room to fill it out at both services. We had a question in there about where you're at on your spiritual journey. And the answer blew me away. 24% of people in the room answered that they were either skeptical about Jesus, they were exploring following Jesus, or they just didn't know where they were at spiritually. 24% of you are not in but exploring, seeking if Jesus is the answer to the questions that you have. That blows me away that that many people are in the room and that's where you're at. You are, you are who we uh, do church for. Like our mission is to see everyone and that one is in brackets because there are those of you that have gone away from God, walked away from God, never known God, we are going after you. We're hoping that you will come here and enjoy the services that we do here. 24% of you said, I'm skeptical, or I don't, I don't know, I'm still exploring Jesus, or I don't know where I'm at spiritually, which means that, that we are so thankful that you are here. If you're here, I love that you're here, because that means that, you are, that you're seeking answers, and you need to know Jesus isn't afraid of your questions. Like, you're not going to ask a question, and Jesus is going to go, well, that's a good one. <laughs> Let me get to work on that. I don't really know. Like Jesus isn't going to respond that way. He's not afraid of the questions and the skepticism that we bring. In fact, he wants to meet us in those questions and in the skepticism. And so I'm so grateful that you're here. It's not a negative that you want proof. It's no different than the people that were there when Jesus was on earth. There were people that were there that were there to see Jesus, really to see Lazarus, to see if it's true. Prove it to me. That was kind of who they are. They needed to go see Lazarus to double check. And I'll just tell you, I'm a little wired like this. I've got a skeptical side of me. It's like you tell me something that seems impossible. I want you to prove it to me because it, does, it doesn't seem right. If I were there, I probably would have been a little bit like this. I've been like, I hear about the Jesus stuff, but now let me check out this Lazarus guy and just make sure that this is, this is really what happened. So John 12, 17 and 18, many in the crowd that had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raised him, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. They had heard about it. They said, well, we've got to go check it out. Well, what do these people represent? Those who hope. Really, If you're a seeker here, you're one of those 24% that are in the room, and you haven't made a decision to, to truly cross the line of faith. You're someone that just hopes that the story's about Jesus. Are true, but you're still investigating. Just like they were. They were hoping it was true. They were hoping that he really is who he said he was. And and, and, and and that might be where some of you are. You're hoping it's true that Jesus is who he said he was. It's You're hoping it's true that he could truly answer all the longings and, and, and needs of your soul and your heart and bring true fulfillment into your life. You're hoping that that could be true. And all I can say to you, if that's where you're at, Don't stop seeking answers because Jesus will give them to you. Don't miss Good Friday. Don't miss Easter Sunday. Maybe that'll be the day that there there, there becomes this moment where you're like, okay, I'm actually in. And I'll tell you this, if you're in either one of those groups, if you're like just in the group of the Roman soldiers, those who mock Jesus or or the the seekers, those who hope it could be true, um, if you're a mocker and you've never met Jesus, you need to meet him. Come back as long as it takes until you do. He can change the trajectory of your life in, in a beautiful and powerful way. Um, if you're one of those who hope it could be true, keep investigating, because and, and I know there's a point um, where you have enough evidence. And this is what I want to just say about this. I don't, I don't know if you'll have every question answered this side of heaven, okay? I, I still have questions that I don't think I'm going to get answered until I'm, uh, I'm in heaven with God and then and talking to Jesus, and, and I get the opportunity to ask some of those questions. Um, but, but there does become a time where you can't dismiss the evidence that you already have. There does come a time where you have enough evidence to make a decision. Don't hold out and say, i got to have every answer answered, otherwise it's a no. It's like there's going to be a time where you have enough evidence to truly make a decision to follow Jesus and to choose um, to walk with him and follow him. And maybe that's today for some of you. Maybe it will happen over the next couple of weeks. I don't know. But just know that, that you might not have every answer answered. And that's okay, someday you'll have enough evidence. Not all of it, but some of it enough to make a decision. So those are two groups that were there. And then we finally have this last group that was there. John 12, um, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And I call this group the worshipers. They were the worshipers. They were seeking out Jesus, and they wanted to spend more time with him. They were there for a different reason than the other two groups. They wanted to hear him speak. They wanted to know him more. They wanted to be with him, and they wanted to worship. And I'll just say this. I have done um, a number of funerals over my 24 or 5 years in ministry. I don't remember how long, actually. It's been a long time. The more these I get, the less I remember, you know. Um, I've done a lot of funerals, um, and, and every funeral, it's full of these three groups. You have people who are mockers, and they're just sitting back going, go on, preacher boy. Tell your fairy tale about how my dead relative's just up there looking down, smiling, um, wish on. And you can kind of see them in the crowd, believe it or not. Man, they just kind of have this curt little smile, and they're smug, and they're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just say whatever. I'm not, I'm not buying a bit of it. They're in the crowd at a funeral. Um, you've, got, you've, got, you've got hopers. You've got people that are just, I so hope that this is true. I so hope that what you're saying is is the real deal. And their eyes just long as I speak. They just want it to be true. They're hanging on every word because they're hoping so much. And then you have this third group. It's just those who believe. Those who have said, I've committed my life to Jesus Christ, the one who gives true hope. And they are literally in the room and their heads are nodding with everything. Why? Because they believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that when Jesus promises um, eternal life, when Jesus says, "If you believe in me, the moment you take your last breath on this planet, the next breath you take will be with me," they believe that is truth, and they're listening. And there's a difference in their countenance, and there are tears, but they are not the same kind of tears. They're different kind of tears because there's a there, there's a truth in those tears. There's a longing in those tears. And I'll just tell you, if you're if you're in that group, if you're a believer, um, you don't need to be convinced. You're already convinced. You are you are there to worship. Jesus, you know him, you're in a relationship with him. And so your response when you see him, really see Jesus is worship. It's worship. You fall to your knees and you just say, all I have, all I am is yours. You're my King, my Lord. You died for me. And this story is the beginning of the week where he gave up his life for us. And so, so because of how we want to um, end the service, we're, we're going to receive our offering right now um, as I'm talking about worship. Because what many of us don't realize is this offering moment is worship to God. It's saying, thank you for the blessings you've given me, and I'm going to give back a portion like you ask and trust you for what my future needs are. Um, For those of you that are here and uh, you're not all in, maybe this is your first time coming to Kensington or first couple times, we're not interested in your money. And I'm like, I know you're like, come on, seriously? And I'm like, yeah, we're not. Like, just let the basket go by. We're grateful you're here. In fact, this service to us is our gift to you in the hope that we might be a part of your spiritual journey to getting you across that line of faith someday. But when it comes to worship, um, I want to talk about that for a few minutes because we're going to do that in just a couple I don't know if you know this, but we're made to worship. Um, we do it naturally. Uh, when you and I witness something spectacular, uh, we respond, don't we? don't we? Like when you see something fantastic, you respond. You can't keep yourself from responding. Um, it's just like when my Orlando Magics won, won the game last night, right? Yes, seriously? See, you can't help but respond. Like, I'm telling you, if you watched it, uh, my wife and I, when DJ Augustine, who's one of my chapel guys, he has not missed a chapel in three years, that's why he made that shot, um, <laughs> he hit that three-pointer with 3.6 seconds left, my wife and I were screaming our heads off, lifting our arms in our house, just the two of us, the kids were upstairs, the dogs running around in circles, because I think we totally freaked him out, didn't know what was going on, but we just, we couldn't help ourselves, it was spontaneous, it was Fantastic. Six years of chapels finally worked once, right? It's like we finally got there. You don't have to tell people how to worship. We know when we see creation and the amazing things that, that God has made, it evokes wonder in us. We just wonder when we have those wow moments. It evokes worship when something spectacular happens. Like It evokes singing sometimes. It makes us want to just move from our heart outwards. No one has to tell you how to respond when amazing things happen. That is a form of worship. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, it was spectacular for people to see this man that they had heard about that did amazing, miraculous things finally show up and they saw him face to face. The believers responded. John 12, 13, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. That happened on Palm Sunday a little over 2,000 years ago. So over the next few minutes, we're gonna end our Palm Sunday with singing together in response to all that God has done. And I'll just say this to you. If you're you're, um, not a follower of Jesus, as we sing these words, you need to know that those who believe, believe every word that we're about to sing is truth. And as you allow the music to kind of impact your soul and impact your heart, I just want to encourage you to sing along when the time comes. Even if you don't believe, like that's welcome. welcome. You can worship God without being a true believer yet. Why? Because he's worth every bit of the worship that we can give to him when you see something um, miraculous happen, something incredible happen, and that's what we're talking about today. So would you stand with me as I pray for us? Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you so much for today. I thank you for this story that you, the king of all kings, would humbly come into Jerusalem riding on the the colt of a donkey is unbelievable. It's so different than what we would do if we were you, which makes it all the more miraculous. And Jesus, in this moment, God, I pray for those of us in here that maybe if we're honest, we've got a little bit of Roman soldier in us where we maybe mock Christianity and you and, and we're here don't know what to think of all this. God, I pray for anyone that's there right now. I pray that you would just open up their eyes and their hearts to the truth about who you are. God, for those in the room, we know there's many in here that are just seeking. They hope it could be true. Lord, would you bring the reality of the truth of your word and who you are and your history into the front windshield of their lives. And God, for those of us in the room that are believers, God, we just want to worship you. Give you our hearts give you our minds give you our souls in the next few minutes and just sing songs of praise acknowledging you for who you are and believing you for what you've promised to us hey lord if there's anyone in the room that today is their day to cross the line of faith lord welcome them with open arms wrap your arms around them and welcome them to your family